0: Get ready for Crack the Customer Code, your audio guidebook for creating incredible customer journeys.
1: You know, Judy, one of the interesting things we talk about is the relationship between sales and customer experience. Because while we treat them as two different topics, uh, you really can't separate the two.
2: Absolutely cannot. And I think that's something that a lot of times when I go in and talk about customer journeys with clients, they often say, okay, so it starts at the sale. I'm like, nope. <laughs> it starts before the sale.
1: Is that how you talk to the clients? Nope. I do. I just nope.
2: say, nope. <laughs> and then I yeah, pat them You're on like, the head. You, yeah. you, put, you
1: put a big hand in their face. Talk to the hand.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's uh I I I think one of the reasons that we wanted to talk to our guest today is because he shares this philosophy and does it in a really uh let's say a cerebral way. Would you would you agree with that oh, description? Oh,
1: Janie, boom, dropping the <laughs> mic. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh yeah, David uh is super smart. He actually he really shared some good insights and about that uh you know that intersection of how you approach sales as an experience and understanding customers and understanding different approaches. So I think uh, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot of powerful lessons in it.
2: Absolutely. So let me tell you a little bit about David. So our guest today, David Premer, is widely recognized as a thought leader in the area of sales and sales leadership and has been has been published in the Harvard Business Review as well as Forbes Entrepreneur and Inc. magazines. He's also the author of the best selling book, Sell the Way You Buy. David started his career tinkering with test tubes and differential equations as an award winning research scientist before spending the next 20 years leading top performing sales teams at high growth technology companies. David's lifelong passion for learning and execution is the foundation of his cerebral selling practice, where he helps organizations drive revenue growth by infusing the core principles of science and empathy into their sales operations. David, we're thrilled to have you here. Welcome to Crack the Customer Code.
0: Oh, it's great to be here, Jeannie.
1: Thanks for having me. So David, so happy to have you because I love talking about science and decision making. And I know that's one of the areas you focus in on. So tell us, let's just start right in. What can science tell us about how people actually make buying
0: decisions? Yeah, well, I mean, we were talking about before how, you know, the way science works is it tells us that, you know, we make decisions primarily based on emotion and feelings. And yet it also tells us that the mind plays tricks on us and it convinces us that the decisions that we're making are actually rooted in logic and reason. And this is just kind of like the fun fallacy of decision making as it relates to (laughs) science. Yes, (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, we always end up, you know, uh, we, we justify rationally after the fact,
0: right? Well, look, there's after the fact, there's before the fact. You know, one example <laughs> I often give is, let's say you want to book, a I talk about this in the book, a first class ticket to Paris, or let's say you want to go to, to Paris on vacation, it costs $800 for the flight, but the, the first class ticket was just asked, astro- it was like, let's say five grand, it was astronomical, couldn't afford it. But then a few days before, the flight's supposed to leave. Now, I wish we could all be on flights now. Now I'm getting all (laughs) nostalgic. I know. (laughs) Uh. But but the airline comes to you and says, hey, you know, great news, Adam. It's not going to be five grand anymore. It's now $1,200. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't have this extra $400. But man, first class to Paris, that sounds pretty good. And so you start telling yourself all these stories. Like, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to just eat fast food when I get there. When I get back, I'm not going to do as much shopping. (laughs) So you tell yourself all these stories to make like I'm a very rational person this makes total sense meanwhile you're just succumbing to the feelings
2: yep yep right. and i think it, there's this attitude of if you use that intuition if you just admit to that that it's it's not good enough so we all have to rationalize it somehow but um one of the things you talk about is how you know, the experience is the product. And obviously, Adam and I are on board with this idea. But how can sellers actually create amazing customer experiences? How do those things go together?
0: Yeah, well, you know, so it all comes down to the the kind of the end-to-end a series of touch points the customer has with you. So you could be representing a, a wonderful product or something that's in high demand. But if you act you know, in a sleazy, underhanded, self-serving way, if the customer doesn't believe you have their best interest in mind, if they don't believe that you have, they have your, your success in mind, then, then they're going to have a poor experience and, and move on to someone else. And so as a seller, there's lots of things you can do to create a great experience. I'll give you two of the very easiest and simplest things to do. Number one, just listen. Just listen. And it's it's interesting. In the 2018 Salesforce State of Sales Report, when they asked salespeople, they said, you know, what's the, the top things that you can do that have a sub- extreme or substantial impact on your ability to convert customers? Demonstrating ROI was number 10. Number one was listening because listening i mean now, you know you're you're collecting information certainly but there's a a lot of emotion involved in listening and we always love people who listen to us it invokes reciprocity good feelings it makes them feel that we actually care so that's kind of the number one thing you can do is just listen and and i'll tell you number two and this is going out to sellers who do a lot of prospecting as someone who gets prospected into a ton by other sellers is just do your homework so before mm. you reach out to a customer, know what they do, know how many employees they have, know what industry they're in. I can't tell you how much horrifically atrocious, e- <laughs> you know, outreach <laughs> and you, are, are you, do you get some of this too? Oh my I,
2: I, think, I, I think
1: we all have the same LinkedIn inbox is what this sounds like.
2: Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> All about the contact center that I don't run. It will, oh
0: my God, don't even <laughs> get me started, right? You know, it's like, I don't run the contact center. I don't have accountants that work for me. I don't, you know, right. I don't have a, a team of a hundred people and and it's such a huge turnoff. But when someone actually puts in the effort to, you know, Jeannie, I, I listened to your last podcast. I love that you talked about this. Like That adds so much value to the experience mm-hmm. and makes me want to engage even if I don't want to buy what you have to sell.
2: Right. Right. It's so true. and
0: Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jeannie. Please.
2: Sorry. I was just going to say listening is so basic and it's something that we always assume is part of any relationship. And yet think about how often we have to tell people how important it is, because it's just it's something that for some reason we need to be reminded over and over and over. So I'm so glad that you brought that up as that number one thing, because it's so important
1: yeah, For and that sure. you know the the reciprocity idea, david, is is huge. I mean, I, I think about it this way. When they do that, you know, all three of us, we all know they're sell about to sell us something, right? I mean it's not like it's a secret, but it's okay. We're okay with it because they actually were respectful enough to do their research, to you know tailor their pitch, tailor their introduction, whatever it may be, right? And I think uh, you know, part of that listening is trying to understand, right?
0: Yeah, look, it's understanding because you know part of the thing also as sellers, don't forget, is that we want to create this great experience, but we also don't want to waste time with people who don't want to buy our stuff, who's not who are not a good fit. So you know, approaching it in kind of a very empathetic way by listening, by understanding, hey, look, is this even someone we can help? Because if it's not, the last thing I want to do is like lose slowly, right? That's a bit <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's, that's a waste <laughs> of my time.
1: I love that. Lose slowly. All right. That's my that's my new <laughs> term for the day. That was brilliant. I love it. All right. So here's the thing. Let's talk about, you know, we're sort of joking about our LinkedIn inboxes, but you know, one of the things that's just been talked about so much, but the reason it's been talked about so much is because it's a real issue, which is there's a generation gap, right? There are generation gaps between millennials and X and uh, definitely millennials and boomers. So You've got a lot of young, hungry sellers out there. They're in their first sales job, their second sales job, and the people with the budget and the people with the money are a different generation. So what are the challenges that these younger sellers have when it comes to converting, You know, let's, let's just say, older, more experienced buyers?
0: For sure. Well, this is actually, I, I put a, a term to this concept and I talk a lot about it in the book. I call it experience asymmetry. And so the, the idea is that there's this imbalance and experience asymmetry can be definitely created between a, a younger, less experienced seller and an older, more experienced buyer, but can also be through an experienced seller in a new job or a new industry selling to someone whose job they've never done without that kind of the knowledge of the pain points. And this is something I, you know, I saw a lot. So in, in my history, I used to run small business sales for the Eastern US at a company called Salesforce. And so I had reps in, in all sorts of different cities and my reps in New York, were always the most hustly. Like they always made the most calls and emails, as you can imagine. And, you know, one of the things is that I would often stumble across reps who would make lots of phone calls, lots of emails, but then would have not the amount of pipeline to show for it that you might expect. And so you start digging in and they're calling the right people at the right time with the right message, but you would start listening to their phone calls. And and I would almost like imagine like I'm closing my eyes, I'm listening to the phone calls of some of these younger reps, And I close my eyes and I say, you know what? I'm not even focusing on the words. Okay, I don't care about the words. It just sounds to me like you're bothering them. Like it sounds like you are afraid that you're bothering them because you're not adding enough value because, you know, who the hell are you and why should they listen to you? So this, this experience asymmetry manifests in all sorts of ways. And one of the ways is this lack of passion and conviction. And so, you know, there's a lot of different, and this is something I, I personally experienced early in my career when I was 25, got into sales, and was, you know, in all these boardrooms talking to these these folks who would who would laugh and joke about the systems that I came in to replace being older than I was. And so, <laughs> the, the question was like, well, how do we overcome that gap? And there's lots of things that um, that we can do, but it's a real big problem uh, in in mm-hmm. modern selling.
2: Yeah, I would I would agree with that, and I think part of what struck a nerve with something you said there was you know if if you're not adding value you you pretty much know that right <laughs> like you you feel like you're bothering them because you you know you're not hitting the mark with really providing value or making sure it's a fit before you move on so i think even though people try to fake that um we can hear that on the other side we can hear when somebody's unsure of that and and it just sounds I would think it sounds inauthentic. is that the right word?
0: Yeah, well, you know it's 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 inauthentic, it's tentative you know we we if we if we agree with the fact that we all buy feelings and a lot of times mm-hmm. we buy feelings like conviction and certainty, and if you can hear it in someone's voice that they're not certain, like imagine you know so the example I often give is uh I don't know if you have kids do you have do you guys have mm-hmm. kids at all
2: I do, I have two boys, yeah.
0: There you go. So I have three girls. Okay. So when my girls come to me and they're about to hit me up for something, I don't know if your boy, <laughs> you know where I'm going. It's like they want to they want to download an app. They want to you know bake something. They want to lift to the mall. Can you tell like immediately? <laughs> right.
2: Yes. Right, like, absolutely. Right
0: by the way, it's like mom. Like I can tell. And the yeah. the answer is no. Right. And then <laughs> and then I say, well, what's your what's your question? Because right. I, I automatically get defensive. <laughs> based on their tone. And in fact, when my when my daughters come to me and they start with this tenant, I'm like, eh, "Okay, stop yep. that. Be clear and concise and sure about what you're saying, and, and I'll be, and right. I'll believe you, right? I'm more likely to engage." So, that's, you know, that's what you hear in the voices of these younger sales reps.
2: Yep. Yep. I often I often say, uh, "Okay, so what is the question?" <laughs> because <Right>. they <laughs> it starts with this long explanation, right? And then you're like, "Where is this going?"
1: Well, yeah. well that I mean, well, I mean, one thing, when you think about the sales process, what, we're, what you're trying to do, and one of the many things you're trying to do, but one of the biggest things you're trying to do is inspire confidence in the buyer. And if you don't have confidence in yourself, it shows, and it does, it does the exact opposite.
0: Mm -hmm. for sure well look i i often ask people i say you know try this like and i talk about again i talk about this in the book but try this conviction exercise think about something that you're passionate about it could be a sport uh you know a hobby it kind of music something that maybe someone else isn't like we all love food and family for example but maybe not everyone loves bluegrass music or golf or you know uh orlando magic or whatever it is right so think about if you're passionate about that thing i want you to just tell someone about it. I want you to listen to how your voice sounds when you talk about something that you're passionate about and have conviction around. And then, you know, now to your, you mentioned, you know, it's tough to hack that. So now you go back to work and now you're selling like a normal thing. You're selling a widget, a service, a product. And if you believe in what you're selling even better, right? But most Mm -hmm. of us, we just, we sell kind of normal things, you know, even software technology and so on. So there are tricks and hacks that you can use to kind of manifest the conviction almost kind of trick your brain. I almost go back to that Seinfeld episode where where uh, where George says to Jerry, "It's not a lie if you believe it." And then again, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about.
2: Yeah. Okay. Now I'm not
0: suggesting if anyone's listening, do not lie to your customers. I'm not suggesting that you lie. But what I am suggesting is, you know, in that statement, what he's saying is, if you believe in what you're saying, you know, then mm-hmm. then the other person will as well. And so there there are various tactics you can do to kind of anchor. Your mindset and your words and your conviction on you know, things that kind of lend credibility to your voice.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have no personal experience with this, but I've seen enough movies. That's how you beat the polygraph, right?
0: It's <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you, believe, you believe the lie you're telling.
0: That's right. Again, we're not saying we should lie. <laughs> <And> we're not <laughs> no, recommending this. No, and yeah, the headlines now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: So, so what's one thing you can tell salespeople who are thinking, okay, this is great, but you know, I I'm charged with just handling customer objections objections, you know, what are, what are some of the ways that we can help salespeople really do that in this passionate, authentic way?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, back to kind of what we talked about before, one of the easiest and best things you can do is, is slow down and listen. So here, here's a fun little exercise. Imagine you were on the receiving end of an objection. What's the most common objection that a salesperson gets price, (laughs) right? Too expensive. So think about if I did this little exercise with you and, and say, okay, it's too expensive blank, you know, and try to come up, you don't have to do it now, but like come up with as many different permutations of it's too expensive as you can, right? It's too expensive for a budget, for what we're getting for compared to this other thing that we're buying. And my buddy works for the competitive solution. I'm just going to buy their product anyway. So there's all of these kind of, you know, end results. And so what happens is whenever we hear objections to salespeople, we often immediately jump into solutioning mode, like, oh, it's too expensive. All right, well, let me figure out how to make it less expensive for you, Right? Versus if we take a step back, and the data actually shows that top sellers actually, when they hear an objection, rather than respond, they will ask a question. And so the tip here is to clarify the objection and to get to the root cause, the root intent as I refer to it. And if you don't do that, and you jump in too soon, then you risk wasting all this time addressing the wrong objection without fully exploring it. So my advice, slow down, listen, fully explore the objection, ask good questions before you try to solve it. Nice.
1: Yeah, I love that. And you know, and tell me what you think of this real quickly, David. Um, That's something we really teach in the customer service side of things. Like there's listening is two pronged. Listening is one, it sends the signal that you care, right? It's, we talked about that at the beginning. It sends that signal that you're listening and that's why it's so important. But you also get the information you need, right? To get to, to understand what the objection really is. Because often the objection isn't the objection as you're sort of alluding to.
0: Correct. I, I refer to that as the objection iceberg, which is, you know, what whatever they say, that's just the tip, you know, we, and the, and the, <laughs> we're not, we're not so lucky to have all of our objections. I think about actually objections sitting on an emotional spectrum, almost like negotiation, all the way from the very logical objection. You know, imagine if I asked you out to dinner, and, and you didn't want to go, and you gave me a logical objection, you might say something like, well, you know, we we're, we're we already have plans. It's like, okay, well, great. Or the restaurant's too far away, or we don't babysitter. And if we solve that problem, then then we're good. Versus all the way to the emotional side, you might say, well, didn't they have a rat infestation last week? <laughs> didn't they have a rat infestation? Right? And maybe, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Like, imagine you're purchasing a piece of technology and I say, didn't they have a data breach last year, mm-hmm. that, that company? <laughs> nice. Right? And maybe they right. did, maybe they didn't. But but now it's, it's a very emotionally charged. So when it comes to objections, part of the assessment process you go through. See, I, I'm a Canadian so Ah uh, process, professor. you did it. <laughs> process. talked about that before. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the part of the, the process you go through is is assessing like where that customer sits on that emotional intent spectrum. Do they really not want to go on the date with you ever, ever? Or are they just trying to, you know, overcome something that's very logical? And you do that by listening. Hmm. Awesome.
1: I love it. And I don't object to anything you've said, David. So thank you so much. <laughs> now we, we really appreciate you being here. This was great. Wonderful insight. So uh, please let our listeners know where can they find you and learn more, connect with you and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah. So I have everything on my website, which is cerebralselling.com. So just all one word, cerebralselling.com, where you can, and I give away tons of stuff for free. So uh, tons of articles, videos. I have a YouTube channel also called Cerebral Selling. And the title of my book is called Sell the Way You Buy. And it's available everywhere you buy books Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indigo for you in Canada. Um, Excellent. Um, yeah.
2: Well, thank you so much. It was a joy having you here. And uh, I feel, I feel, like well prepared to go sell now, so thank you for that. <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs>
1: my pleasure. Thanks for thanks All for right. having me. Thanks so much, David. So, Jeannie.
2: I, well, you know,
1: I was wondering because I just sent you a LinkedIn invite and you accepted. <laughs> just I, I now. Oh uh, yeah, are you ready for my pitch? I'm ready. Are you ready for my pitch? Okay, good. So, Jeannie, I've got some land here in Florida. And you know, we're we're very famous here in land for land in Florida.
2: That's right. That's right. And based on my profile, <laughs> exactly. you thought that I would be interested in that land because, you know, that's the language that we hear. I thought that was such a, an interesting part of the conversation, but we've all suffered from that, right? Those horrible, horrible pitches that are not connected at all with who we are or what we do. And unfortunately, LinkedIn is just a. <laughs> that
1: never happens, Jeannie. Come on. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I see. I see you're a customer experience expert.
2: You must
1: be ready to get rich in dental supplies.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. There was one recently where I was like, I don't even, I can't even make the connection. It was something like, uh, you must know how uh, small veterinary offices. Need these types of operations. And I was like, <laughs> I, why would I know that? <laughs> You're like,
1: I know a lot of things. That's not one of them.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like, so please sell me your software for my small veterinary office. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, we need people like David out in the world who are talking about the way to do this right because there's nothing wrong with sales, right? Like, sometimes it gets a bad rap because of the the things that are done so poorly but the way david's talking about it it's it's about really setting the right expectations respecting the person you're buying and then creating a customer experience from the beginning that's meaningful and important so i really like this approach i really liked our conversation it was a lot of fun so i'm glad that david could join us today
1: yeah it was great so and uh sell just sell classy <laughs> <laughs> We should do that. Sell, sell classy, San Diego.
2: Nice. Nice. <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> you don't like that? Oh, boy. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, I want to thank David for being here. And also, of course, we want to thank you listeners for being here at Crack the Customer Code. We are a proud member of C-Suite Radio, so be sure to check that out at csuiteradio.com. And there's also great business content at com. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our journey mapping programs, customer experience training, and speaking at experienceinvestigators.com. And
1: I'm Adam Topork, and you don't need to know what we do because we're going to ask you what you need, and that's what we're going to sell you. So you can find me (laughs) at customersthatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of your customers.